What if I told you there was a cure to procrastination? A method you could use to consistently beat procrastination and stay motivated in everything you endeavour to achieve? What if I told you this cure to procrastination was not only available to all of us, but also easy to apply? Well, if I told you that, I'd be lying. There is no soul cure to procrastination. No matter how many TED Talks you watch or self-help books you read, you won't stop procrastinating. Procrastinating is as natural as daydreaming, breathing or sleeping. It is not an illness to be cured. It is a natural part of our psychology. But that doesn't mean procrastination can't be managed. It doesn't mean there aren't tactics we can use to stay motivated. In today's episode, I'll share how to manage your procrastination problem, how to control it, and how to achieve more of the goals you set. You won't be cured of procrastination, but you'll be much better at keeping it in check. All of that coming up, but first, here's another podcast I'd recommend. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Now, before we explain how to control procrastination, we first have to cover where procrastination comes from. See, for many of us, there are plenty of tasks we undertake that never cause procrastination. You probably won't procrastinate on a run, for example. You won't procrastinate when watching your favourite sports team. You won't procrastinate when eating a delicious Michelin star meal or when listening to a captivating, inspiring talk. Some tasks, however, always make us want to procrastinate. Tax returns, emails, weekly review meetings. For these tasks, we struggle to stay motivated. But why? Why do we complete some tasks with ease, yet struggle to start others? Well, it all comes down to two types of motivation. Intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. Intrinsic motivation involves doing something because it is personally rewarding to you. Extrinsic motivation involves doing something because you want to earn a reward or to avoid punishment. A nice meal out is usually intrinsically motivating. You want to enjoy the meal and you feel rewarded by the meal. But if the meal is part of a job interview with your potential employer, you won't enjoy the meal anywhere near as much. That's because suddenly the meal is transformed from an intrinsic goal to an extrinsic goal. To help me explain, I've invited Ayelet Fishback back on the show. She is the best-selling author of Get It Done, one of the best books I've read on motivation, and Professor of Behavioural Science and Marketing at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. And she starts by walking me through intrinsic motivation. Intrinsic motivation is the motivation that you have when you do something for the sake of doing it, okay? when uh, doing it is an end in itself. Okay? 
intrinsic motivation is what we experience when we are um have a nice meal with, with a friend, okay? When we are, are working on something that's super exciting for us, uh, when uh, we are uh, strolling in, in the, the park uh, on, on a nice uh, sunny day. The intrinsic motivation is a much better predictor of engagement than extrinsic motivation. And this is true for, for work, for exercising, for healthy eating, for uh, studying, for basically every goal that we uh, looked at. It's like meeting your financial goals, your, your health goals, your relationship goals. How much that feels good while you do that, that's a better predictor than how much you expect to get from, from doing it, Okay, what you will get uh, later from, from doing it. Which means that if we are trying to increase people's motivation, our motivation, really a better approach is to make it more intrinsically uh, motivating, to make pursuing it an end in itself, to make it fun, to make it uh, insightful, okay? doing it with other people, they play music while you, are, uh, you do it. Uh, everything that you bring to the activity that makes it Rewarding while you're doing it is often a better motivational strategy uh, than uh, increasing what you're going to get by the end. Intrinsic motivation does cure procrastination. You won't want to procrastinate if the task is personally rewarding to you. In fact, if you want to see if someone you know will complete a goal, all you have to do is see if they're intrinsically motivated by that goal. Ayelet ran studies to showcase this. Just like a fortune teller, she can predict what someone will do, not through magic, but by simply determining their intrinsic motivations. Yes, so let me tell you uh, about some of the, the research that Caitlin Woolley, now at Cornell, uh, and I did on intrinsic motivation. And uh, uh, one thing that we really like doing uh, is uh, uh, following up on people's New Year's resolutions, okay? And, uh, you know, it's the beginning of the year now, uh, which is around the time when we ask people about the resolutions. And what Caitlin and I uh, did was then uh, uh, following through, okay, and, and see, uh, well, pe are people still pursuing the resolutions in, in March and in June and basically all the way to the, the following November? We also measured how much each resolution was intrinsically uh, motivating, that is how much pursuing it felt like an end in itself versus extrinsically uh, motivating, how much people were doing it because it was important in the long run. And as you can suspect, New Year's resolutions are highly extrinsically motivating. Okay? By the fact that you set it as a resolution, I know that you're not too excited, but there are still variations in excitement, okay? Some people enjoy it more than, than others, okay? Whatever they said. Intrinsic motivation predicts adherence to New Year's resolutions, okay? Uh, the person that is still pursuing the resolution in, in March and in June and, and in November is the person who found the intrinsic path, okay? Who is passionate about what they are uh, doing. What really uh, surprised us is that extrinsic motivation did not predict anything <laughs> and so the person who said that this is more important for them was no more likely to pursue the goal than the person that said this is important but not too much 
the person that said, oh, this is fun, I'm excited, I'm passionate about it, that person uh, was more likely to follow through. You won't procrastinate if you are intrinsically motivated. Now, you might say, well, Phil, I can't decide what intrinsically motivates me. That's true. Netflix will always be more intrinsically motivating than filing a tax return. But if you focus on the intrinsic rewards you'll get from completing an activity, you'll be more likely to complete it. Let me give you an example to explain. Say you want to eat more carrots. You want to improve your diet. So you decide, I'll eat more carrots. Now, if you focus on what you like about eating carrots, for example, reminding yourself that they are crunchy, sweet, a little earthy, and that you loved eating them when you were growing up, rather than the fact that carrots are healthy, then you'll be more likely to eat them. This isn't hearsay. There is evidence in Ayelet's studies that back this up. She had two groups of participants choose between two identical-looking bags of carrots. She asked the first group to choose the tastier-looking bag of carrots, and she asked the second group to choose the healthier-looking bag of carrots. This happened in two separate rooms, so the groups couldn't see each other, and for each group, the bags of carrots looked and tasted identical. And yet, people ate almost 50% more carrots when asked to choose the bag of carrots that looked tastier. Simply directing your attention to the immediate positive experience you will get by completing a goal will frame that goal as intrinsically motivating and help you avoid procrastination. But, and this is a big but, we are rubbish at this. Rather than thinking about the intrinsic benefits we'll get, all of us tend to focus on extrinsically motivating tasks. People just don't know that they should opt for and set intrinsically motivating goals. Do people know that? Okay? Uh, do people know to select goals and, and means that are intrinsically uh, motivating? Unfortunately, what Kitling and I uh, found is that not really. Uh, let me illustrate this with one study uh, where we uh, had people choose, and these are like people now coming to our uh, lab here at the University of Chicago, and we have them choose between two activities. They can either listen to the song Hey Jude by the Bills, or they can listen to a loud alarm clock. Now, this is a no-brainer, right? But we offer to pay more uh, to the people that would listen to the loud alarm clock. And so we found that the majority, of, around three-quarters of our uh, participants in the study, they chose the loud alarm. They knew exactly what they're getting into. Okay, like we, we played sample for them, uh, thinking that, uh, uh, well, I, I'm here to make money, and so I will get the task that pays more money. We then asked people whether they regret their choice, and the people that chose Hey Jude do not regret their choice. The people that chose the alarm clock they do regret their choice, okay? They say, well, that was awful. I, I would settle for a 10% uh, uh, pay cut uh, and, and get uh, uh, the song uh, instead. We are motivated to opt for extrinsically motivating rewards, despite the fact that we actually prefer intrinsically motivating rewards. We opt for extrinsic motivating jobs that pay really well, and then we wonder why we procrastinate so much at these jobs. We wonder why we can't finish our book 
before realising that we're only reading it because our boss recommended it, not because we wanted to. We take up running and quit within weeks, blaming our procrastinating nature without noticing that there's nothing intrinsically motivating about that goal for us. And here's the thing, we don't even realise how intrinsically motivated other people are. We underestimate what motivates them. Here's Ayelet to explain. Let me add one more thing that Kaylin and I found, which is not only you underestimate how much your future self will care to be intrinsically motivated, you also underestimate how much other people care to be intrinsically motivated. So if you manage people, okay, if you are a parent, okay, uh, if you're trying to motivate anyone uh, but yourself, you are probably, probably relying too much on extrinsic motivation that is you are telling others that something is important and will be useful in the long run, okay? And you add incentives and too little on making it exciting at the moment, okay? Make it fun, doing it in a way that make the, the means and the end uh, collide. And, and, and so the, consider intrinsic motivation as, as your first uh, uh, go-to tool before you emphasize importance or add incentives. Look, procrastination isn't something for us to cure. It's something that will naturally occur when we're doing tasks that are extrinsically motivating. Working overtime, starting a fitness habit, attempting to read a lengthy book, or writing a tricky email, these tasks are hard because we're not intrinsically motivated to complete them. But there's something that can help, something that can make these extrinsically motivating tasks a little more intrinsically motivating. The magic solution here is called temptation coupling. This is when you couple an extrinsic task, like finishing your emails, with an intrinsic task, like, I don't know, listening to your favourite audiobook. Coupling these tasks, and importantly, only enjoying the intrinsic reward while or directly after you complete the extrinsic task, can stave off procrastination. You don't want to procrastinate because you want to enjoy that reward. There's a great example of this in the book, Get It Done. Say you want to exercise more. Well, rather than slogging away on a bike at a gym, something you maybe don't enjoy but you know you need to do, try something that includes an intrinsically motivating element, perhaps a spin class that uses music you enjoy to keep you engaged. For people who like metal music, for example, some New York City spin studios offer death cycles. These are spin classes in which instructors blast out metal music while everyone works out. This strategy actually works. Ayelet found in her studies that gym goers who choose a weightlifting exercise that they really enjoy completed around 50% more repetitions than those who chose an exercise that they thought would be more effective. So we do more when we enjoy the task compared to when we do more effective tasks. Coupling or bundling these intrinsic rewards and extrinsic tasks can really quell procrastination. But it's not just physical tasks, though. Temptation coupling can stop you procrastinating with mental tasks as well. One study from the book How to Change by Katie Milkman involved new editors on Wikipedia. These were people who had just signed up to the platform, saying they'd be willing to give away their time to keep the site updated. At the time of the study, these new editors had edited their first few articles, but they were still newbies to the site. 
the researchers split the editors into two groups. Half were told that they had earned an accolade for their efforts and that their names were listed as award winners on a part of the Wikipedia website. These newbie editors also received either one, two or three stars which appeared next to their username with more stars allocated to better performers. So that was one group. The other group of newcomers who had contributed just as much to Wikipedia as the other group, well, they received no symbolic rewards and they weren't even told these rewards existed. So some saw their extrinsic task of editing Wikipedia coupled with an intrinsic reward of public recognition, while others received no such coupling, no recognition for their efforts. Here's what happened. The editors who received recognition for their work were 20% more likely to edit for Wikipedia again in the following month compared to the control group. And amazingly, this temptation coupling kept working week after week and month after month. The volunteers who earned symbolic rewards were 13% more likely to be active editors on Wikipedia a whole year later. There's a simple lesson here. If you want to stop procrastinating, couple your boring task with something that is intrinsically motivating. Do your boring tax returns at your favourite coffee shop. Finish your soul-sucking homework while listening to your favourite music. Only listen to your favourite podcast while working out at the gym And don't let yourself watch your favourite TV show until you've finished your emails. This coupling can help with procrastination. But, of course, we have only just scratched the surface of how to control procrastination. There is another huge topic to cover, and it is self-control. Is there a way to improve your self-control? Well, I'll answer that after this quick break. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com slash service to do more for your customers today. Here's a little experiment for everybody listening. Now, try not to think about white bears. Seriously, spend the next few seconds not thinking about white bears. This is what Daniel Wenger asked participants in his study. And guess what happened? Just like me, and probably you, the participants couldn't help but think about white bears. (laughs) Our self-control is much weaker than we think. Our mind naturally wanders, and the control we reign over it isn't as strong as we'd hope. And yet, increasing your self-control will dramatically boost your happiness. 
In one longitude study, Matthias Alimand, Veronica Job and Daniel Morovchek examined the relationship between the development of self-control between the ages 12 and 16 and then these same people's life outcomes at age 35. So it's a really long study where they take people who are aged between 12 and 16 and then see what had happened to them by the time they were aged 35. As part of the study, the German adolescents reported their ability to, to exercise self-control once a year at ages 12, 13, 14, 15 and 16. So every year they are asked whether they agree with statements such as I often start new things and don't manage to finish them or I feel like I have quite weak will or I often give up at the first sign of difficulties. If you agree with these statements, you probably don't have self-control. If you reject these statements, it's a sign that you do have self-control. Some 23 years later, those who had grown their self-control ability between the ages 12 and 16, so they had actively worked on it on those childhood years and had grown it, they reported that they were happier with their intimate relationships and more engaged at work when they were aged 35. In other words, developing self-control as a teen led to a happier life and less procrastination later on in life. <laughs> now, maybe you're thinking, well, I can't turn back the clock and develop some self-control as a 13-year-old. I'm not 13 years old. So what do us adults do? How do we build self-control? I asked Ayelet. Let me say a few things about self-control. First, self-control is the ultimate goal conflict. Okay, and so we no, we we always want uh, uh, more than one thing, and when we have a self-control conflict, is when we we want two things that just don't go together. Okay, like either I get out of bed and, and go to work, or I uh, stay, uh, uh, you know, and, and sleep late. Okay, yeah, either I uh, eat the, the cake uh, or I, or I don't. Uh, either I uh, no, spend money on this thing that I'm not sure is absolutely necessary in my life or I don't. And I, I, I have this internal conflict. Right? There are two things that I want to do at the same time. And what's unique about self-control dilemmas is that you are not uh, looking to find the right balance or the right compromise. You want to prioritize one thing over the other. Okay, And so I, I want to prioritize eating healthy over uh, eating whatever is in front of me. I want to, to prioritize uh, going to work uh, over uh, uh, like sleeping late. Okay, And in these situations, the, the challenge is first to identify the problem and then second to, to address it. And I say that you need to first identify and then uh, address the problem because often identifying is, is not as trivial as, uh, as, as I know as it seems in my examples okay and and it's not trivial because many of the modern life temptations are not going to have much impact on your life if you just do it once okay if you just let go uh, a few times okay if, if uh, you're a student and you don't do your homework tonight I can guarantee that nothing will happen. It's okay to skip your homework one night, okay? It's okay to uh, uh, eat one cookie uh, if you are uh, trying to eat less sugar. Uh, it's okay not to wear your, your seatbelt, okay, on, on one uh, short uh, trip while your car might yell at you, but, you know, one time that you're not wearing your seatbelt, uh, that is not going to have a significant effect on your life expectancy. But... 
The problem is that there's a pattern, okay? And if you are always eating cookies, then you are not cutting down on, on sugar. And if you are always sleeping late, then you are not going to work. And if you are always procrastinating in the evening, then you are not finishing your homework uh, in my uh, student's example. And so the, the problem is identifying this one decision as part of a, a broad pattern. And what self-control interventions often do is helping people seeing this single decision as part of a pattern. Okay, What you're going to do today is indicative of what you're going to do tomorrow and what you're going to do every time you are facing uh, that uh, decision. It's why we often advise people to uh, uh, buy the, their food for the week in advance, okay? because then it's really easy to figure out that I'm not just deciding what I'm going to eat now, I'm making decision for the entire week and I want it to be a wise decision. Uh, it's uh, uh, why uh, interventions such as reminding people that they're going to make similar purchases many times lead them to spend less money. So uh, Abby Sussman, my colleague here at the University of Chicago found that consumers spend less money when you remind them that this is not the only champagne bottle that you are going to buy this year. Okay? This is the, not the only time that you are going to the theater. How large you want your theater budget uh, to be. So buying your food a week in advance and reminding people that they'll spend more later are small ways to boost self-control. Both of these tactics are a part of probably the most effective strategy to boost self-control and it's known as a commitment device. A commitment device is a technique used to boost self-control and avoid procrastination. It's a decision you make in advance to restrict the future choices you can take. Buying your food a week in advance, for example, means you can't snack on chocolate on a Friday night because you simply don't have any in the house. But commitment devices can be less strict than that. By just publicly declaring that you'll do something will make you more likely to complete it. This is what Todd Rogers discovered before American elections, asking people to share where they'll vote and how they'll get to the polling station made them more likely to vote than using the typical pre-voting spiel, encouraging people to vote, saying how important your vote is. Doing that, asking them where and how they'll vote, acted as a commitment device and boosted voter turnout by 9.1%. Robert Cialdini shares a similar study in his book, Persuasion. He shares how one blood donation organisation made a tiny tweak, a tiny commitment-inducing wording change that increased donations from 70% to 82.4%. The change was tiny. They simply changed the way they ended their telephone calls. Rather than saying, we'll mark you on the list as coming then. Thank you. They switched it to a question. They finished by saying, we'll mark you on the list as coming then, okay? And then they would pause for the donor to say, yep, I'll see you on Monday or whenever the date was, before ending the call saying, okay, thank you. By getting the donor to confirm when they would donate blood, boosted donations by 11%. Commitment devices are so successful at boosting self-control that entire countries have started to use them to control their citizens and their tourists. If you ever are lucky enough to visit the beautiful island nation of Palau, you'll notice something interesting on your passport stamp. 
See, Palau is a low-lying nation that's likely to be hit worst by rising sea levels and climate change. The effect of climate change will be devastating to the country. There is a very real likelihood that the islands could completely disappear. So to help visitors understand the issue and to commit to supporting the nation, the government invented the Palau Pledge. The Palau Pledge is a passport stamp with a difference. Instead of a coat of arms or a department logo, it consists of 59 words and an empty box. The words asked travellers to commit to the preservation and protection of Palau for the land's natural inheritors, its children. The box at the bottom is for the traveller's signature, and that is the crucial bit. By signing your name alongside these points, you'll be more committed to stick to them. Rather than chuck your rubbish in the trash at the end of your stay, you'll maybe be more likely to seek out the recycling bins. Rather than renting a hire car, you might opt for bicycles or public transport instead. By committing up front, you can boost your self-control. Commitment devices aren't the only tool in your procrastination toolbox, however. Here's Ayelet with more advice. Now, this is part one. Okay, You need to identify that there is a problem. Then there is part two, which is addressing the problem, doing something about the temptation when it is there. And uh, what we found, and this goes all the way back to the research that I did when I was writing my uh, PhD dissertation, which was a million years ago, uh, what we found was that giving people a warning that it's going to be hard, that there's going to be a temptation, is often a way to get them to uh, retrieve their their mental effort and tackle that uh, problem. And so, you know, when you know that there's going to be a lot of alcohol in the party, you're kind of preparing yourself and say, well, but I'm only going to have a glass or two. And knowing that in advance allows you to be better ready to exercise self-control. Okay, when you you know that the situation is going to be very tense, okay, that the meeting at work is going to be very emotional for some people, then you kind of prepare yourself mentally to be more careful and more gentle and think about what you say and what you do. And giving people this early warning, this is going to be hard. The temptation is going to be there is often a way to to improve their uh, self-control. Recovering alcoholics and gambling addicts will know this advice all too well. Preparing yourself mentally will help you build your self-control. In the study Ayelet referenced, she and fellow professor Ying Zhang invited people to complete an anagram. Now, an anagram is a puzzle that scrambles the letters of several words into new words. For example, the word times makes items, seat makes east, and tees makes eats. So people had to unscramble these words to create a new word with the letters that were in the old word. Here's the twist. They told half the group to expect that solving these puzzles would be hard. It'll be really difficult to solve these puzzles. They told the other half that solving these puzzles would be really easy. It'll be a breeze. So half are told this will be tough, half are told this will be easy. Yet both groups were given the same puzzles. What do you think happened? (laughs) Well, here's what happened. Those who expected to have a hard time planned to work harder. And they they stuck to the puzzles for longer 
and didn't give up as quickly as those who thought it would be easy. By telling people, you're actually going to have a really hard time doing this, the researchers were setting up their expectation, which stopped the participants from quitting early. To boost your self-control, especially in circumstances where you're likely to procrastinate, tell yourself in advance that it'll be tough. Don't assume that writing a book or a blog post or an email newsletter will be easy. Tell yourself this will be tough and you'll be more likely to persist. Let me also say one more thing about self-control, which is that there are individual differences. Some people are better at self-control than, than others. And uh, Angela Duckworth, a uh, uh, great concept come to mind. Some people are greedier. They, they are better able to pull themselves than, than others. But what we often forget is that there is also a huge variance between goals. Okay, So for all of us, there are goals on which it's very easy for us to exercise self-control. Okay, I can do that. I can resist these temptations. And then there are other goals on which I, I tend to, to fail and, and struggle. And so often the trick is not to uh, uh, you know, look at another person who's doing it well, but look at myself and think, how can I take the strategies that I'm using in one domain and apply them to, to another? I think there are no surprises there. Some of us are just better at self-control. In fact, Ayelet's studies have found that as we age, self-control gets easier. The brain regions that are responsible for self-control and the connections between them take many years to fully mature. So as you age, and as those connections are made, you'll find your self-control is improved. This may explain why teens tend to be more impulsive and perhaps why so few pensioners have extramarital affairs. But regardless of your age, commitment devices and framing an upcoming task as hard will really help boost your self-control. Now there's one more tip to leave you with. Many of us, when we need to accomplish something, spend time procrastinating by fantasizing about achieving that task. So we sort of daydream about how wonderful a promotion will feel or how great it'll be once we get this presentation done. But fantasizing about completing a task has some dangerous consequences. Why shouldn't we fantasize? Uh, well, Gabrielle Ottingen at uh, NYU uh, did a lot of work on that. And what she and her co-authors consistently find is that when people fantasize, they replace doing to uh, uh, no, these fantasies. They replace doing with dreaming. Okay, And how that works? Well, I, I'm now being reminded of a study in which she uh, looked at people that are applying for jobs. They're supposed to apply for jobs or students uh, and you know you can imagine yourself getting your dream job okay or you can plan how you're going to get your your dream job uh, and you know when you ask people to imagine themselves getting their their job they are not sending more job applications when you ask them to plan they do send more uh, job applications. Now, what this study tells us that like the fantasizing mindset is not encouraging people to do something about it. And it often replaces the, the need to do something because if I could just imagine myself doing well, if I can imagine myself winning this award, getting that job, 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, finding this uh, amazing uh, relationship that, in a way, can replace the the hard work of actually uh, getting there, the uh, the doing. So this is a procrastination problem that I have. I fantasize about my goals, and I tell myself that fantasizing is helpful. Sure, I might be procrastinating by daydreaming, but that's harmless, right? Well, no. In the study Ayelet referenced, the researchers had Weight Watchers rate their expectations, including how likely they were to lose weight, and how much they fantasized about weight loss at the beginning of a weight loss program. A year later, those who had high expectations lost more weight than those with low expectations. However, those who also fantasized didn't lose that weight. Those who fantasized actually lost less weight. Fantasies might feel good, but they're largely ineffective at avoiding procrastination. We substitute fantasies for action. So if you find yourself daydreaming, try to snap out of it. It won't help. It's just another form of procrastination that hinders rather than helps. So let's round up. There is no silver bullet to cure procrastination. And there really shouldn't be, because procrastination is a natural phenomenon, something that everyone experiences, especially when doing extrinsically motivating tasks. But you can control procrastination. To avoid procrastinating, follow these tips. Tip number one, find tasks that are intrinsically motivating, and you won't procrastinate with these. If that means changing jobs or switching hobbies, then genuinely, that might be the best thing you can do. However, you can couple an intrinsically motivating task with an extrinsic task. Treat yourself to a delicious meal once you've submitted your tax return. Pour yourself a tasty craft beer as you read through that tough-to-read non-fiction book. Doing so will stave off procrastination. Point three is to set commitment devices. Publicly declare what you're going to do, and that'll make you more likely to stick to it. If you want to build a running habit, try and go on a run with a mate every week. Committing to that one friend will help you stick at the goal. And point four, make sure you're in the right mindset at the start. If you know that the run will be hard and you tell yourself this will be tough, then you'll probably be more likely to complete it. Setting the right frame can really help. And finally, the final point, don't fantasize. Don't spend your time daydreaming about what you'll achieve rather than actually working on the thing. It actually makes you less likely to achieve your goals. When it comes to procrastination, no self-help guru will help you cure it. That's just not possible. But following some of Ayelet's scientifically backed points will help you out. Sure, you're not going to become some Zen monk with total self-control, but you might get through your emails in twice the time, which I reckon is just as good. Okay, folks, that is all for this episode of Nudge. I had a lot of fun putting it together. I've been practicing what I've preached and I've been using framing and commitment devices to try and stop procrastinating. I've also tried to stop fantasizing about my goals and I think it is genuinely helping me. 
So hopefully it will help some of you as well. And, and do let me know if you've tried these tactics yourself. I'd love to hear if they worked for you. You can let me know on LinkedIn. I'm Phil Agnew on there. Or you can let me know on Twitter. You can search P underscore Agnew. That's P underscore A-G-N-E-W. You'll find me on there. Send me a message and let me know how you're getting on. Now, if you've enjoyed today's show and you're keen on learning more about the science of motivation, then go and check out Ayelet's book. It's called Get It Done. It's one of the best books I've read on motivation. It's packed with actionable and useful advice. It's very handy for individuals who want to stop procrastinating. Uh, I think it's a cracker. So there's a link to buy the book in the show notes if you want. Now, I reckon some of you listening have thought about signing up to my newsletter, perhaps. However, I also know that many of you haven't signed up to my newsletter. Perhaps something is distracting you. Perhaps you forgot what the link was. Well, for you lot, let's set a commitment device to make sure you do it. So right now on your phone or your laptop, wherever you're listening, head to nudgepodcast.com, all one word, nudgepodcast.com, and click newsletter in the menu to sign up. If you do that, when you do that, you'll get first access to my new episodes plus an extra nudge tip in your inbox every week. So stop fantasizing about signing up to my newsletter. As we know, that won't help. And just do it right away. Okay, thank you so much for listening, folks. If you could drop me a quick review wherever you're listening, that really will make my day. And huge thank you for those of you who already have left a review. Cheers again for listening and see you next week for another episode of Nudge.